For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Been around the sport off-road for a long time and uh, got him down here and uh, just going to ask him some few questions about racing past and current racing. And uh, I don't know, let's start out. And how did you get involved in racing, Spencer? I mean, everybody knows you from, you know, running the Nissan factory trucks back in the day and stuff like that. I mean, what, what brought you out to desert racing? Well, I used to race uh, District 37 motorcycles and uh, did fairly well with the District 37 stuff. And then I uh, crashed real bad, and I was married at the time, and my wife said, listen, you're going to have to quit racing as long as you're going to. I broke a couple of collarbones and a clavicle and some other things and said, you're done, done racing. And I thought about it for a while and said, you know what, I've got racing in my blood. I can't get out of this deal. So I negotiated with her and said, listen, how about if I go to a car instead of uh, something with a roll cage and seatbelts? We talked about it for a few months, and uh, that's how I got involved in off-road desert racing. And I was lucky enough to go down uh, one of the first races that I ran was the 1,000, and I happened to win it in a Volkswagen, and uh, that just started the career. I got the bug and, and uh, had my job. You know, in those days, we'd uh, work all day long in our jobs, and then uh, at night, we'd work on the car all night long, and we'd take our, uh, our uh, tow car uh, and had a camper on the back of our tow car, take the tow car to the races, then take the, uh, the camper off and use the tow car for a pre-runner. And if we got too many flats, didn't have enough spares, we wound up taking the tires off the, off the tow car and being stuck in the desert for a couple of days. But those days, everybody helped everybody. That was the original Parker lifestyle that we had then, and I remember that from a few Barstow races. And some of the old guys that I raced with are still racing today, believe it or not. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, and how did you, I mean, get, I mean, you went from, uh, you know, being privateer all the way to running factory back teams and stuff like that. I mean, how, how did that take place? And was it a lot of being in the right place at the right time or, you know? Well, in those days, you know, it, it was a lot tougher um, for the privateers. And actually, I'm not sure that that's true. It's really tough for the privateer now because there's a lot of really uh, wealthy guys are in the sport that throw a lot of money at it. And uh, it was the same way when I was racing as a privateer. We had the factories involved, and the factories were throwing a lot of money at it. So we, um, we were successful, won a few races, uh, got lucky enough to get hooked up with a guy named J.M. Bragg and uh, Ray Russell, which are Jeep guys. And I went to work for American Motors Jeep for a couple of years, and uh, we did pretty well with the Jeeps. Those are the days of the short wheelbases when you'd uh, you know, just get the heck beat out of you the, the entire race, and you'd come back in, you'd be peeing blood for a couple of days and didn't know what was going on. And uh, then uh, won a few races with that and, and uh, went to Nissan and put the package together with Nissan and did the, uh, they, they put their first-year program together. We had a lot of success, and uh, just from there it just skyrocketed. Any, uh, I mean, it, you know, you did a lot of short course. You did a lot of desert. I mean, any any one of the two that you favored more than the other, or, you know, the total different disciplines. I mean, all, all around. But well, I did a lot of stuff, not just the uh, desert and the stadium racing and short course racing, but I also road raced for them. So we did a lot of testing on the 300 CX and 200 SX. I did some rally racing. I did Pikes Peak a few times. 
a factory driver that did whatever they told me to do. They said, okay, we want you to run 25,000 miles. In fact, one of the guys that's here, Jim Connor, was one of my teammates uh, years ago. And Jim and I, I lived in Lake Havasu at the time, and we used to fly back and forth to the Arizona Test Center in Maricopa, and we put 25,000 miles on, I don't know, 10 240ZXs to get them past the uh, most boring thing I've ever done, a 150-mile-an-hour for a full tank of fuel, get out for five minutes, back in, and run another you know, 150 miles an hour. But it's a neutral course, so it wasn't a big deal. But I, I think the my most enjoyable time was the uh, – the desert racing, desert racing for me was great because I got an opportunity to do a lot of pre-running. And uh, I believe that preparation, in fact, my other teammate, Roger Mears, his brother was one of our, our mentors when I raced at, I raced at Ascot also in sprint buggies. And uh, he said, in order to win races and in order to finish first, first you have to finish. And I, I kept that in, uh, in my mind all the way through the, uh, my racing career and kept in mind that you had to finish a race to win a race. And in those days, it was a lot different, too, because, uh, you know, we didn't have the pit support. We didn't have airplanes. We didn't have the, the uh, communications. We didn't have Parker pumpers. So, you know, it's one, one of those things. And no, no headsets. Uh, it, it was pretty primitive then. But uh, I like desert racing. And, I, and actually, I like all kinds of racing. I got addicted to racing, period, and I like, I like the stadium racing because it's easy. And you can make a lot of money doing it. Uh, desert is prestige, though. It's absolutely prestige. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to run a 1,000 miles in Mexico across no man's land and, you know, to pop out at the finish line in La Paz, I mean, there's nothing nothing like it because you know you really beat, you know, nature and everything. Well, uh, you know, people ask me a lot of times about the 1,000. And I, I, I like the 1,000. I like racing in Baja. I always have liked racing in Baja. The thing about it, I think that, out of all the races, the Mint 400 is a much, much tougher race than the Baja 1000 because of the silt. The Baja is long, especially if you're driving it by yourself. But the Mint race, the silt and getting stuck and the, I mean, they throw every possible thing at you that they can throw at you. And uh, so it, it's, it's all challenging. It's just a different way of looking at each event. And, well, that, that's why I'm here in Parker. You know, I fell in love with Parker from pre-running it so much here. And th- those were in the days when you could pre-run. And I felt that Parker was like, that was the race that I would focus all my winter effort and testing on. And because I felt that if we won Parker, that that would set the pace and the momentum for our season. And it did, absolutely did. But you, you talk about uh, testing and, and, you know, and working out. And I remember watching a video on one of the old uh, – it was on one of, uh, I can't remember, one of the old ESPN broadcasts. They did a thing on you and showed you, you know, running on the treadmill and stuff like that. And you had this this absolutely awesome, it was like a seat, and it had a steering wheel and it had, like, shocks hooked up to it. And I, I got to know, do you got it stuck in a garage somewhere or hidden away? I still have that. It was really cool. It was a race seat, Mastercraft seat. And we had a resistance in the brake pedal because I usually drove automatics. There was an accelerator and a brake pedal, and I left foot brake all the time. And uh, I had a shifter mounted to it, um, and then I had a shocks on the steering wheel, and they were adjustable. So you could set the tension in the shocks because, you know, when you're running solo and you're running 1,000 miles, as, as you well know, the, uh, I mean, it's a workout. It's a full physical strain. And in those days, 1,000 miles, the fastest I've ever done the 1,000 miles in the Baja was 17 hours. But a lot of times it's taken 23, 24, 27 hours. And, uh, 
and that's without any problems. You know, that that was the old days before the courses were marked like they were, and you might get stuck down in the lagunas in the in the mud flats or who knows what. So uh, it's. It's a challenge. There's no doubt about it. Well, absolutely. I mean, in this day and age, we've got GPS, we've got tracking devices, satellite radio. I mean, our our, our just our traditional radios in the race car are ten times better than they were. And I mean, you know, it seems like people at home know exactly where we're at. You know, and it's just nuts because you know, ten, fifteen years ago, you'd run the five five hundred and you'd be broke. And I mean, there was no communication. It was just you know, you might open a prayer a somebody days. found you. You know, that's exactly right. <laughs> Well, you know, in the early days, we did. There was GPSs weren't even allowed. They didn't have a, a system that was military. And our radios, we we did have radios, but you know, the radios were only good for 20 miles. Um, we ran usually with 12 chase trucks in the thousand. And you figure 12 chase trucks, two semis, leapfrogging all across Mexico. Plus, we could only go 150 miles on our range. So you're, you know, when you're out in the middle of somewhere broke, you better figure out a way to fix it. And, uh, that's, you know, that's what you have to do. And I, I think that's the difference in off-road racing versus some of the other uh, types of racing is that you have to be a mechanic also. You have to know what the heck is going on with your car, not just how it handles, not if the shocks are packing or if you've got too much bump or whatever it is, but you better know how to fix it to get yourself back home, too. Yeah, absolutely. Either no, have to know how to work on it yourself, or have a really good co-rider with you. Yeah, well, a lot of times, like even Parker, for example, I I did pretty well. You know, I was with Goodyear forever, and and uh, I would go single. Didn't even take a co-rider, just like you're driving. Yeah. Because I thought that you know what, Parker's so competitive that if you get a flat tire, you got to get out of the car. It's five minutes. We didn't have air jacks then. We didn't have all this stuff. You know, you get out a, a lug wrench, not an impact wrench. And uh, the DeWalt's weren't around, you know, where you can buzz a lug nut off. And so I figured, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'll go through the only place that really was a a flat hazard was the goat trail. And you go through the goat trail, you take it just a little bit slower. Don't worry about it. If you don't have to get out of the car, you've won the race. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I mean, from when you raced until today, I mean, you know, you were in a factory-backed team, and you had, you know, some of the best of the best, you know, in that day and age, you know, What's a comparison to what you see now, I mean, technology-wise, and some of the trophy trucks and, you know, even some of the smaller trucks? It's incredible. The, uh, now, we started the technology with a guy named Kevin Bunderson up in Las Vegas with the position-sensitive shocks. And I look at these cars now with 4-inch shocks and shafts with 24, 28 inches of travel in the shaft, and these cars got 30 inches of wheel travel in the in the spindle, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible how far they've come. The way they fabricate the parts. Uh, my son is a, involved in fabrication. He's showing me they water cut these parts out, make patterns and blast them, and just weld them together. And it's really going, oh my gosh, what are they coming up with next? You know, where where is the sport going? Yeah, you used to, you know, everything was gr- with a grinder, and you go and check and oh, grinder yeah. and check, and now they just, you know, push a button and a computer cuts it all out. It's exactly. Just, we didn't have the. We didn't have any of the technology. I mean, if you had to make something special, you were going to fab it one off or go to a foundry, get a print drawn, have the thing cast, then do a machine print, get it machined. And it, it, was a, it cost a lot of money for us back in the day because we were kind of ahead of our technology. And today, these guys are spending I mean, huge, well, you know, I mean, yeah. it's huge money, the motors. I mean, you're talking, telling me the other day 800 horsepower is not enough anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's 800 horsepower out of an off-road, a carbureted, a carbureted motor. That's a lot of horsepower. So it's it's incredible where it's going, and and how the things like a friend of mine, uh, 
Jesse Jones. He's involved with an engine builder up in uh, Croyer, up in uh, Las yeah. Vegas. He buys a whole package. He buys an engine, a transmission, and a rear end. Buys it, puts it in his truck. They don't worry about it at all. Every so often, he sends every couple of races or four races, whatever it is, they send it up to the guy. They do a rebuild on everything, and off they go. Well, I didn't ask him how much it costs, but I'm sure it's not a cheap date. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah I, don't have, I don't have dollar amounts, but, but everybody I've talked to that's running the Croyer packages, to, you know, the motor has made it to the transmission, rated to the rear end so, so perfectly. They put so much time and research into it uh, that it works so well together that uh, a lot of them said, that I've talked to have said they're actually saving money uh, over trying to mix and match uh, transmissions and motor builders because they've got it so dialed in, and that's such a specialty that they've focused on. Go to his shop. It's unbelievable. And they, they supply converters. I mean, it's a bolt-in, turnkey, haul-ass deal. I mean, it's it's incredible. And, and, you know, it's the same thing with the shocks now. You know, uh, I remember I was, I was thinking about doing the show with you the other day, and I, I thought about, you know, in the early days, a guy named Charlie Cronut, Cronut Shocks. I don't know if you guys are even yeah, familiar absolutely. with Yeah, absolutely. Well, he won overall in a Class 9 car at Barstow, in a Class 9 car. But, I mean, his shocks were working, and he could drive that Barstow course flat, flat put the whole entire race. And, you know, he'd go, man, go. And look at us. We've won, we've won at Parker. We've been 10th overall in a 7S truck. <laughs> you know, so, so that tells you the difference. Um, the Class 1 cars, they're going so fast now, and the trophy trucks are just, they're just unbelievable, really unbelievable. Um, I've had a few rides in them. I haven't had an opportunity to drive one. And uh, you go into a hole, and, and I remember driving some pretty fast cars in my life, uh, especially on the road racing courses. And the biggest difficulty that I had is that 180, 190 miles an hour, you have trouble focusing because there's so much vibration in the car. And I look at these cars in these trophy trucks at 120, 125 going through these holes, and you've got a plan so far out in front that it's uh, – I have a lot of respect for these drivers, a lot, a lot of respect. I mean, you guys, you know, you got it easy compared to the early days. But let me tell you, you land on, in, a, in a ravine or something going 120 with one of these 5,000-pound, 6,000-pound trucks, you're going to be sore the next day. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, it used to be before, you know, and I know just growing up, my dad, you know, he rolled quite a few cars over and stuff, and it was one of those, you push it back over and you got a little bit of sheet metal work and you take off to the next race, and, you know, you wreck one of these trucks going, you know, the speeds they go, and it's a yard sale. You know, it's, it's not get ready for the next race. It's get ready for next season type of thing, you know. Well, you know, it's the same thing. I remember years ago we had those uh, – the big, tall desert jacks that they have on the Jeep. And we used to carry those with us with a chain on them so we could roll ourselves over. You know, if we happened to roll over in the middle of the desert, we'd have to roll ourselves back over to get back home. And uh, I remember those jacks never worked at all, and you'd have to actually pee on the jack to get it where you could, you could get the thing working again. But those were the early days. I hate to, I hate to keep saying early days because it really makes me sound like I'm old, but uh, those but, were the good days. Well, they the were good the good days. days. Croyers. I mean, he he came from from the good old days of the Mint 400. His, yeah. You know, one of his uh, early starts were up in the Mint. And, um, you know, a lot of the history, and I think it's important you remember the history because, yeah, in a lot of ways that uh, things have gotten better and faster, but uh, you know, not necessarily easier. And and it's uh, it's a good time. I I grew up here in Parker, and and it's funny you're talking about free running Parker and and how it was the main wintertime focus. And Bob Gordon's uh, house was across the street from mine. And so being 13, 14 years old, he wanted some ballast in 
Um, and it's, it's nice to see the, the Parker 425 back uh, as big and, and prestigious as it is to, to kick off this uh, this year, too. It's absolutely awesome. You know, I was I was talking just a little earlier today with Jim Connor, and we were talking about, and I don't remember what year it was, but it had to be 20 years, maybe 25 years ago. They limited the number of entries to the Parker 425 or 400 then to 425. They actually had a waiting list of entries to come race this race. Um, it was that big a deal, and I just think it's fabulous that that's happening again with it. Number one, it's great for the community. Number two, it's fantastic for the sport. I mean, you come here and look at Contingency Road and, and go through all that. It's it's like the good old days, you know, where you'd see the guys pushing the cars through and everybody's crewed up in uniforms and looking sharp. The cars are in perfect condition. It it really it gives me goosebumps. It really does. It's that cool. But so I'm still addicted to the damn sport. Well, and you, I mean, and people don't realize you haven't got out of the sport completely. I mean, your son's involved on the fabrication end of things. And, I mean, you know, you're from Parker. You see all the races. And you also have a pre-runner that you go and play with, too, and, you know, live next to Jesse Jones down in Mexico, I believe. So, I mean, you're not you're not totally out of it. You're in the loop still. No, I'm not. I'm not out of it. I uh, I still enjoy doing it. I've still got a, a Husaberg dirt, dirt bike, and I play with that. And I, um, you know, I, I love the sport. I love the desert. Uh, it's just kind of a thing that once you do it and you see it, especially in the wintertime like yeah. right now, this spot you're at here is just fabulous. You You get it in your blood and you can't get it out. It's just something that's with you for the, your whole life. And uh, I have to say that, you know, and, and as I said, I've done all kinds of different racing. The thing about off-road racing is the community, the off-road racing community. Um, everybody's tight. It's really competitive now, but it's no easier now than it was 25, 30 years ago. It's the same. It's it's go, man, go, and every man for himself or woman now, too. they got women riding, driving. Um it's a great sport. It's been great to me, and it's just a great, great sport. And I'm excited that you're doing this show, too, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's good also for the sport. It's good to keep the enthusiasm going, especially in these times of this economy. You know, it's turning around. I can feel it turning around. And I can feel the off-road cars, more and more off-road cars coming. People are bringing cars out uh, out of the, the garages that they haven't worked on for a couple of years because they haven't had the money. And... Uh, like I said, you get this in your blood and you can't look at you. Yeah. You, know, you well, grew up with it. Yeah, I grew up with it, and here I am. I mean, I just, you know, I love it enough that I wanted to start a weekly off-road show talking about it. You know, it's just, like you said, it gets in your blood, and, you know, it, there's nothing like uh, blowing your nose after a day in the desert and having nothing but mud come out. You oh, know, it's you just. Know, <laughs> you, guys, you guys are such wimps now. <laughs> Remember, we didn't have, and, and it's amazing, it's the Parker Pumper. Why yeah. was that developed? You know, we didn't have Parker Pumpers. We didn't have ear molds for headsets and quiet. You know, we had open face helmets and sunglasses. And get your face just packed where your the tears are running out your eyes and they're just crusty mud. And the, your face, you're coughing and you're totally covered with mud. You might wear a bandana. The bandana gets clogged. You can't breathe out of it. It's like, oh, those days. I'm glad those days are over. I saw some, some vintage uh, Mint 400 video where somebody had actually worked some sort of gas mask apparatus. I don't know where they brought it back from being in the military or whatever, but, yeah, they're cruising down in their, you know, Funko or whatever it was at the time and did full-on gas mask in their open-face helmet. They figured out how to rig it up because, like you said, the soap up there is oh, just terrible. Yeah, it's brutal. Well, I remember the Mint 400 one year. We always ran just regular air cleaners on the uh, on the engines, K&Ns, and they'd get packed up. We had socks 
packed up that we said, you know what, we're going to change our, our idea and move the air cleaner inside the cab. So the engine's going to breathe the same air that we're breathing, thinking that, you know, we'll be able to go a little further or at least know what the engine's going through. And I remember one Mint 400 that I looked down at the air cleaner, and we had a cone-type air cleaner, which is off a cat tractor or whatever. And I remember every time I accelerated, I looked at the air cleaner, and I saw the air cleaner moving. Uh, what the heck is going on? And the air cleaner was actually sucking clothes. It was so clogged with dirt <laughs> that we had to change the I mean, today you don't do that. I mean, you, you just run them. They, everything's so much, so much more high-tech than it was in those early days. And uh, thank goodness for the motors. Thank goodness for the drivers. Yeah, you know, that, that's really important. Well, I've got one more question for you. Um, you ever any interest? I know not necessarily coming back to desert racing, but doing something like maybe the Nora 1000 they've got and, you know, something like that. You know, I had a deal put together. Um, I got my old 7S truck that I ran uh, 15 years ago from a guy, uh, Javier Sacio, down in uh, San Diego. And I have a, I, I still have a half a dozen race cars. And I had a six-cylinder, an inline six-cylinder uh, with a 300ZX motor or 280ZX motor in it. And I had that. And I had a whole deal put together with Goodyear and Nissan to, to uh, go do it. And uh, Nissan pulled the plug at the very, very last second. And I do, I want to run that race. That's one of the races that I, I will run before, uh, before I go down. I, and I hate saying go down because after Manny Ascara went down, you know, it's like, oh, it just, it devastated me. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I keep thinking about that. Oh, I'm going to go out for one last race. <laughs> I'm going to have a heart attack in the race car. But I, I don't think that's the case at all. And, yeah. and I would like to run Nora. Although the thing I understand, I talked to some of my buds that ran the race, and they said it, it was not supposed to be a competitive event, but it was. It was yeah. really a competitive event. They were going like crazy. You're so not going to put those cats in race cars exactly. stop You can't it. stop them. You absolutely can't stop them. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Everybody says it was supposed to be, you know, just mellow and low-key, and it just, yeah, those guys are racing their ears off. you so. got a bunch of cars. you got you got old cars laying around everywhere. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've talked about it. We've got a pre-runner that would be eligible, uh, you know, 79 pre-runner, and uh, we'd, we'd probably need to do a little bit of prep work on it to get it to go 1,000 miles, but uh, it, it would be fun. We've talked about it. If so. you got a windshield. You yeah. could even wear an open face helmet. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> Parker pumpers, you got to have them. Yeah, the problem is my dad, he's actually driven my truck, and he gets claustrophobic in these closed face helmets. He's like, I'm glad that thing, you know, these closed face came along after me because I would have never been able to drive 500 miles with a closed face helmet. Yeah, you get used to them like yeah. anything else. You know, you go test enough with them, and, and you get it. And you'd never run an open face, would you? No. I, you know what? For my first race ever, I wore an open face with a windshield, you know, and it was in the pre-runner, and... Uh, it wasn't bad, but, uh, you know, after you switch to an open cockpit with a full-face helmet and a pumper, you'll never go back to the other, and, you know, just there's no comparison. Yeah, well, I, I absolutely agree with you. I remember, and I know you want to cut this off, but I remember one Parker 400 race here that it snowed, and uh, we ran the California side and came, came across, and I had a windshield in the car. Of course, we had no defroster. The air cleaner was inside the car. The car is hot inside. And the windows were steaming up, and it was so snowy on this on the the uh, Arizona side that you couldn't even see the course. You know, no, half the cars quit, they broke, whatever it was, and we actually had to kick the windshield out of the car because I had my co-driver with a rag and a, a stick trying to frickin' clean the windshield so we could see where we we're going. But you know, there is a lot different today. It's it's totally. Uh, 
totally high tech compared to the early days. And and you know, I think it's great. It's really great for the sport. Yeah, I think you know it's been good. I mean, it, well, there's a lot of companies that have been around that, that have been able to thrive. You know, and you know because of the technology changes and stuff like that, and it's become you know a huge business, really. So oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's gigantic. And, and you know, it's good for it's good for our economy, and yeah. it's especially good for Parker. I mean, this is the biggest weekend of the year here in town. Yeah. And uh, the pre-running weekend, thank goodness that Casey picked up the ball from Sal Fish at score because he's done a tremendous job here on this event. It's just, it's it's fantastic. And Blue Water, too. You know, Blue Waters they came and jumped in, and, and that's, uh, you know, you need sponsors. You can't do it all out of your pocket. And uh, the promoter's job with insurance and all the things that go along with it, all the staff out in the checkpoints and the safety crews, it's, it's an expensive proposition. Yeah, I, I don't even want to think about the undertaking, what it, you know, what it takes. I mean, I, I've seen a little bit, you know, firsthand what it takes here in Parker, but, you know, I, I just can't imagine really what it takes, and especially running a race like the Baja 500 in Mexico or something like that. It's just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. It's tough. It's really tough. And thank goodness that we have promoters. It's, uh, you know, you have to have them. They, uh, they put their heart and soul in these events. And uh, us racers, and I'm considering myself still a racer, we're lucky to have good promoters in this sport. Yep, absolutely. Well, I appreciate all the time you've uh, given us, Spencer. It was a good time. And well, absolutely. I had a great time. I'd love to do it again sometime. And I wish you the best with your show. I think it's a great, great uh, format. It's a great idea. And uh, the more followers you have, the better it's going to be for the sport, the better it's going to be for Parker. And uh, hopefully you, you'll uh, continue it. All right. Well, thank you. We keep uh, growing every week. So I thank, thank you. you. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right. I think uh, we're going to cut.
Thank you, thank you. Uh, definitely got a little job ahead of me, but we'll uh, see if we can take care of it. Yeah, it seems like, uh, I mean, everybody's known about checkers for a long time, but, I mean, is there kind of a youth movement happening in checkers, so to speak? I mean, well, you know, checkers, you know, have kind of, like, fallen off the map in my eyes, and it's just simply because, you know, for a club, you know, to be an off-road club, you got to have racers, and racers attract their buddies and their friends to be pitters, and uh, we need some new blood in there. We need some, some new racers, and hopefully uh, I can attract some and, and, you know, liven the club up a little bit. Yeah, it looks, uh, it seems, you know, I got recruited, and I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, just what checkers has to offer racers and stuff like that. I mean, with the with the amount of pit support they can provide at races, and, you know, it's just, you know, even if you've got your own crew, you know, and to have the additional checkers crew is just, you know, pretty pretty exciting, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're perfect for the, the little guy all the way up to a, a big-name guy. Um, you know, a lot of people don't have a ton of money where they can bring five or six chase trucks like some of these big, huge, huge teams. So for us, you know, we, we can put a pit here and a pit here, and you could show up to a race with one chase truck and, two or three guys, and, and you could be pitted and, and race competitively against the guys with all these chase trucks, and you're just fine. Yeah, so uh, what's uh, on tap for you this year? Well, i got a pretty busy schedule with all of the Best of Desert Series, along with the 500 and the Baja 1000, so I've, uh, I've got some back-to-back stuff, and I actually have a six-day turnaround from the Baja 1000 to the Henderson 250, so we're, uh, we're going to pull the motor in Mexico at the finish line, hopefully, and... Uh, <laughs> So we'll have all the work done, and then when we get home, we can just ship it straight off, have the tranny done, and, and try to save some time. Okay, you're running uh, all Class 1 this year? Yeah, all the Class 1 stuff. Back it down a notch this year. We're not going to be the fastest or the coolest-looking guy, but hopefully we'll be uh, at the finish every time we can wrap up a championship. I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, last couple of years at the Mid-400, it seemed like the, the top qualifiers seem to equate to the top finishers. But it doesn't seem to be the case in Parker. What's your strategy for uh, qualifying tomorrow, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the, the dust here is, is really bad, especially in the morning starting and, and going south into the south east into the sun, and, uh, you know, it's really hard. So I'm going to try to start up front and get, a, get as many of those fast guys as I can behind me and uh, try to just run a dust-free race and, and stay out of trouble and, and keep all four tires aired up and keep moving the whole time and only stop for fuel and that's it well and i think i think with parker that's kind of the case and i've learned you know it's like first lap everybody wants to push 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 really hard but you know and everybody thinks for some reason that parker's so smooth they go around the course on the pre-run oh it's great and this and that and it never ends up that way and you know it seems like the guys that push really really hard on the first lap usually have some kind of a problem you know and yeah i mean parker's notorious for taking everybody out it took me out last year so you know, we're just going to kind of cruise around for the first two laps and see what happens. And if we got to go race, we got to go race. But we'll, uh, we're going to be around for that last lap. And, you know, I think a lot of people, that's going to be a struggle for them, is being around for the last lap. Yeah. Uh, any chance you're going to get on a bike anytime this year, just playing around or anything? I mean, you know, people don't realize you've won a ton of races. You know, as a, even as a privateer, you know, I went out and beat the Honda teams uh, at the Baja 500 a couple years back. Yeah, I mean, before before I, I had, you know, factory-supported stuff, you know, I, I rode for a, a little shop out of Southern California called uh, XRs Only, and myself and Mouse McCoy teamed up, and we were able to win the Baja 500 and, and beat the factory-supported team. And uh, 
that was awesome. And then I moved on and did factory stuff, and, and now I've moved on to four wheels. But, you know, there actually is a few races that I still want to do. I want to do the Erzberg Enduro over in uh, Europe, or uh, Germany, sorry. And uh, I want to do the Fink in Australia. So those are still two races that I have on my on my things list of things to do. So I want to uh, try to make it to those two races. Um, but I've actually been training really hard and been eating right and... Um, you know, with a little extra training, I think I could go back and be competitive and, and go do those races. Well, yeah. still, uh, if I remember right, you still do a lot of free running on the bike down in Mexico, too, don't you? Just to keep, keep fresh and enjoy it a little more? Yeah, you know, there's there's a reason why bike guys are fast in a car, and that's just simply because, you know, you can read terrain and, and your eyesight and your reaction times, I believe, are faster. So for me, I just ride a bike and free on a bike just to stay, you know, up to date and, and stay fresh and, and keep that moto mentality in my mind but um and for one it's just it's much cheaper than free running around in a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollar free runner so for me the bike is awesome i can get a lot done in a day and do it really cheap and also you can for me a lot about a free running is not showing people what you found or you know found a line here found a line here and on a bike you can really hide it and it really disgusts me when I'm in a sand wash, and you can see exactly where a big truck turned around to go back and look at something, and it's just these guys expose their stuff on the first day of free running. It's like, man, why'd you do that? You just showed everybody that on the first day of free running. Now that little tiny line over there is going to be a graded race course at the end of the week. Well, it's just it's funny you say that because I just remember in San Felipe, and I think it was uh, may have been Matomi Wash last time I went down there and raced, and I'm free running and free running, and all of a sudden there's and I would have never noticed it except for I saw two tire tracks. And so he's kind of stopped and like, well, we wonder where that goes. So we start following it and following it around and come to find out it's you know, out like a mile of the course. And we're like, oh, wow, thanks, thanks, thanks for the help, whoever left the tire tracks. Talking about the bikes, and you were talking about transferring over over to four wheels. I mean, you know, it, was it really easy because you guys raced so fast on the unlimited bikes to, to jump into like an unlimited one car, a trophy truck? I mean, was the transition easy for you, or was there a lot to lot to pick up that you you know still to learn that you needed to? Well, you know, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I grew up as a younger kid driving sixteen hundred cars and ten cars and twelve cars, and I drove with a guy named Burl Beveridge in his class one car, and you know. So I had a lot of seat time going into my transfer. So the transfer for me has basically been pretty easy. I mean, obviously, I've learned some lessons the hard way, but the transfer for me has, has been really, really easy for me, and, and I picked up things really quick just because I did a lot of it when I was younger. So it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Any chance we're going to see you do any short course anytime soon? God, I would love to. It's just, you know, putting a budget together for desert racing is enough, and then you try to go and get more money to do this, and, and it's just tough to put two budgets together and try to do both, plus, you know, date conflicts and, and that type of stuff, and pre-running conflicts. It's just, it's really tough to be a desert racer and a short course racer at the same time. Well, yeah. even if you can find more money, you can't make more time, so. Yeah. But it, it's tough. There's only, you know, there's only so many sponsor dollars out there for the off-road market, short course and desert. Like you said, I mean, the to get a full-blown budget to do both, and I mean, I think Carl Carl Renazetter's been about the only guy I think that could, you know, consistently do it, and he's not even doing it anymore. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, it's really tough, you know, to go get, you know, half a million dollars to be a competitive short horse racer and then get another half a million dollars to be a competitive off-road racer. It's tough. You need to know a lot of rich people if you're going to do it. <laughs> or have a really rich uncle. <laughs> yeah, our, our own casinos and gas stations are huge construction companies. So what do you think about qualifying this? Uh, I just read online before we came down here, like 88 cars are going to be qualifying. Yeah, I mean, there's 88 qualifiers, and there were some people on that list that I, I know are coming that aren't even on the list. So expect probably 90 to 95 qualifiers. And, and you know, I was looking at the time, and I think Casey has it starting at 11 o'clock. You know, there's like three hours of practice laps, and then there's four hours of qualifying laps. So, you know, there's not that much state time. So I think Casey's going to have to realize that, you know, he's got this many qualifiers. He's going to have to start this till 8, 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. We're going to be out there all day. Um, I mean, where, I didn't look. Where did you start drawing the qualifier? I mean, on the pre, pre-draw. pre I, uh, I got probably the best draw I've ever had at Best of Desert, and that's 18th. So Good. I'm usually back in the 40s or 50s. But this time I, I, uh, I drew uh, uh, 18th, so that's pretty good for me. But, um, you know, this year, THR Motorsports and Rick Johnson, RGR, have kind of teamed up and, and we're, and we're uh, going to share our resources and, and do that. And Rick got really lucky and drew first. So. Yeah, I saw that. He drew 18, so not too bad for the, for the THR team. Yeah, I can't complain too bad because I drew like 73rd last year and I drew 10th this year. So. Oh, not bad. So. Yeah. It's just you see the course when you go on your practice lap, and then when you're seventy something off the line, you go around it. You're like, this isn't the same course. It's yeah, just so yeah, chewed. It's yeah. Sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, you're better off just <laughs> keeping the car ready for Saturday. Exactly. You know, some of these guys really drive the piss out of their uh, equipment during qualifying and are taking huge chances that you know I want to race on Saturday. I don't want to be hanging out, you know, driving back to fab stuff up, you know. I just want to have a nice, clean race car to go racing on Saturday morning. Yeah, I know. I, I checked the Tattletail last time we ran a qualifier. I think a, a Tattletail said it was at like 9,100 RPMs. And I'm like, you know, that's just not healthy for my vehicle to be running like that all the time. I'm like, I need to tone this down. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's some guys that qualify really decent and they're consistently doing it. And it's just it's, it's amazing how fast these guys are going and qualify. I mean, it's, it's beyond race pace. It's full-on, wide-open, taking chances and and getting business handled. Yeah, it's it's just ridiculous some of the chances these guys are taking. I mean, when you watch the end cars and stuff like that from it, it's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I would hope to think I can qualify on the pole, but, to, you know, I don't know that I want to take those chances. Like you said, I want to be running on Saturday. So. Yeah, plus, I don't own the car, so i got to go to the sponsor <laughs> and say, hey, uh, I threw you far away and qualify. We're not racing. He's being a little upset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Wait. the Parker qualifying course is typically so sandy. you got to. You know, if you're on the pole, it's because you were wrapping the crap out of the motor anyway, just oh, yeah. keep it on top. Yeah. yeah. It's a heavy horsepower uh, qualifying course, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you see Troyer standing there just cringing his teeth when you take off in the sand. You know, that you're doing something wrong when Troyer's cringing. Yeah. Well, there's always one or two guys that pop their motor on the qualifier, too, and yeah. not around on Saturday, so. Yeah, so we just, we definitely, I mean, I would love to be in the top five, but a top ten for me is what I'm, I'm shooting for. And, you know, yeah. top ten qualifying is, is huge here. You know, last year was the first time I drove the car. You know, I probably had 30 miles in it before we came here, and I qualified 21st. And, you know, going out on the last lap, we were we were overall first class one car on time. So if you could start in the top 20, you're doing, you're doing you're just fine. Oh, absolutely. Well, you got anything else you want to share with us? 
You know, just just checkers. You know, the, the checker thing's going really good, and we're trying to get some new blood in there. Obviously, you're going to come in and, and state your intent, and we're, uh, we're looking forward to it and having a trophy truck on board. Um, we got, got some other big-name guys that are, are poking around at the idea, and hopefully they step on board and do it, too. So checkers going to do great. Um, CHR Motorsports with uh, Rick Johnson this year. We're, we're combining forces, and that's a good deal. we got General Tire back on board with both of us for the season. Um, Hoosier Precision Machining is a company that I work for in uh, Southern California, and, and they're obviously a huge supporter of the program. And, and uh, just really want to thank all the sponsors, you know, King Shock, Rigid Industries. You know, all these guys are making it possible for me to come out here and have a good time and sit by the river and talk on the radio and have a good time. <laughs> Well, if I stepped out of the co-host shoes and, and into the fast eight shoes, I, you and Rick Johnson from from the beginning have been real real good about running stickers and helping the word out. And so, while yeah. everybody's listening to everything else, I want to say, you know, I really appreciate it. No, no problem. It makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, it's, it's forever some God-forsaken reason. You know, I have a big crash, and and I hurt myself or hurt others, and I would definitely like to know that I have someone, you know, backing me up and and help me out in a time of need like that. So. I'm definitely a supporter for it, and, and I uh, definitely appreciate all the stuff you guys do for everybody else, so it's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Aaron, Mikey, and I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime later on this year again. So. Thanks for having me. All righty. Take it easy. We're going to cut to a break, and when we come back, we'll have the HD.
the last race? Yeah, we've done some suspension changes and we finally got a new engine by Gary uh, Kincaid. Built us a new engine and, and, you know, it's been two years since we've got to do this, so we're hoping to be regrouped and, and ready to go. That, you had a chance to test the motor out at all or see what he gave you? Yeah, we've, we've got a little experience in it now and it's, it's better than it's ever been anyway. So yeah. Hopefully we'll we'll make it without having any issues. Yeah. Well, you've always had a fast truck out here, and, I mean, you passed Parker Winter, and uh, I don't know, any, any specific strategy for this weekend? or Well, just, I guess it's like riding a bicycle. i got to go learn that a little bit yet. And then the uh, biggest part is trying to get around the thing and, and get a finish out of it more than more than anything. Try and, try and stir up the boys that have been doing it for the last couple of years anyhow. Yeah, I tried to do that in October. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Got it, got it, got their panties all in a bunch for a while, and then I think I drove a little too hard and broke the truck. But it was fun. For, it was fun for a couple laps, anyways. That's the thing with them 8100s is they're going. They're so fast. They got so much horsepower, and you're pushing them so much on the on the edge. But there's so many parts that you got to maintain stock or close to stock that it's all about uh, finding that razor edge and making it survive while while keeping up with uh, everybody else because it's pretty competitive. It's always super competitive. Oh yeah, there's some there's some talented drivers in there, and and uh, you know, like you said, you got to be competitive, but you got to be consistent enough to be there at the end. You know, without tearing everything up and and having something to race at the end of 425 miles. So it ought to, it's it's always an adventure. Yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> That's no lie. Well, I think we uh, last I checked, you guys are up to like six or seven in 8100. So it, it ought to be a pretty big turnout. I don't know if Pat Moore uh, got his going or not. I know they were trying to, and that'd be another one into the mix. But uh, should be a fun race on Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that. I'm hoping Pat makes it, and we may have one other local guy, Brian Day. I heard he's getting real close. So hopefully, you know, we have seven or eight vehicles in the class, and you know, make it a competitive day and and. Uh, See where it falls at the end. Yeah, you uh, planning on doing any other races this year? Is Parker the only one so far on the schedule? Well, we've been really fortunate enough to, to have a lot of local businesses help us here and, and uh, sponsor us for this race, and we're kind of going to you know, see how it goes for the rest of the year, if we can maintain and keep, keep health, you know. Play it by ear this way, you know, here on out. How about, uh, how about Michael? Uh, he going to do any motorcycle racing this year? Well, we're trying to. He, he wants to try and do this amateur series, but it's just uh, kind of playing it by ear on that thing also. We tried to get him in the truck the other day, and he ain't having none of it. He's he not ready to transition from two to four wheels. <laughs> no. his, his mom finally got in there, though. Uh-oh. How, how was that? You better watch out. She gets a bug too bad. She'll be hitting you up for driving time. Yeah, she's kicking me out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know how Kiki is. She, she'll throw you out. <laughs> she'll be driving. You'll be changing tires for her. Now, it's, it's been a good experience for, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie in this town with, with a lot of our our local businesses and our friends, you know, as far as physically helping on the, on the vehicles and, you know, the other race teams in town, you guys, and, 
and everybody that, uh, in fact, here's one of our sponsors right here, Mr. Sam. He has uh, helped us this year. Just the whole community thing, you know, and it, it takes a lot of work and a group effort to get it to the to the starting line. But I, yeah, and I, I don't think people really realize how close the off-roaders are and, you know, in Parker and, I mean, you know, even guys that race in the same class are always willing to help each other out. And, you know, it really is, you know, you sharing parts and sharing knowledge. And, you know, everybody's helping each other build on each other's vehicles. And, you know, I, I don't know that other cities, you know, have quite the close-knit group of uh, off-road racers there is in Parker. I mean, it's really kind of amazing the way everybody helps each other out. And, I mean, you know, I know on, uh, you know, on Saturday we're going to be, you know, there's going to be like four of our teams from Parker all pitting together. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, like they've called the race. It's a, a legendary deal. It's, it's been around forever, and, and it's kind of a mainstay in this area that, you know, my dad did it, your dad did it, and now we're doing it. And it, it, our kids are going to, you know, Michael's doing it on motorcycles, and it, it's passed down as traditions, you know, and that's, it, it continues to be fun through that. Well, what, I don't know if, uh, I know of one other town that, uh, uh, shuts down school on uh, race weekend, and I know growing up here, you know, that, that was the second best part of race weekend was getting out of school on Friday for tech and, and contingency, and the, the only other town I know that does it's uh, a town up in Nevada, but, uh, you know, this, like you say, it's so much history tied up in Parker, but also so much livelihood that, um, you know, obviously, like you say, there's there's generations that, that uh, work together and grown up together and fought together and played together and everything else, so... It uh, only makes sense that you go racing together. Sure, it's. Uh, I think it's kind of like a a hunting deal, you know. As as you teach, as we've been taught, we're teaching our kids to, you know, maintain the deserts and and you know continue to educate each other, so we can all continue to do this and play in the desert as as you know our parents have. I think it's, you know, it benefits everybody, not just the the desert racer. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you got anybody you want to give a shout-out to, Larry, or anything else you want to to say before we go? I'd just like to thank all all my friends and family that taught us and and all our local businesses that that are involved with, you know, not only our team, but all the other teams, our, our other local teams that, have helped and, and to help continue on this this tradition and, and keep the lo- local racers going. Just thanks to everybody. All right. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time to come on air with us. And uh, what's your number going to be on uh, Saturday? It'll be 8106. 8106. Larry Tunnell. Thanks a lot, Larry. Thanks, Jim. We're going to cut to uh, another quick commercial break.
and I and one I didn't have anything solid, and uh, and two obviously you got one of the best teams that's out there, and uh, how can you turn something like that down? So um, last year, we, first race we did was a Baja 500, and uh, and uh, unfortunately had a had a uh, had an issue with one of the A arms uh, that had broke, but um, not anybody's fault, but uh, just unfortunate for our first run out. And uh, and then we did the thousand together, and we ended up finishing. We finished, uh, I think, seventh or eighth. Had had some uh, alternator issues that kind of plagued us, but the trucks are great. Uh, Mike did a fantastic job. The guys at the shop did a fantastic job. And um, uh, you know, I think this year I'm really looking forward to actually getting getting behind the truck a lot more with Troy. We're going to do all the score seasons so far. We we went and entered Laughlin, and uh, we're going to finish up the score season, and we're going to kind of pick and choose the best and judges. If we do well, Parker, maybe we do more. Yeah, just play it by ear and see how it goes. Uh, well, I know in uh, in Laughlin, you guys weren't actually running the trophy trucks. You guys kind of had the free runners out there. Yeah, you know what? As a as a race car driver, as as somebody that's competitive, that is really tough yeah. just, uh, to bring out a pre runner to go uh, and just go do foot laps in. And uh, I tell you, it is so freaking frustrating uh, to be out there and see your competitors passing you. You know, like you're like you're tied to a, a telephone pole. But uh, the whole goal was for us to go there and just get points. So we brought we brought uh, we brought our pro truck out. And uh, that as a 19, then Troy just happened to have uh, a buggy with a with a truck body on it. I'm not even sure what it is. And uh, we, we entered that under the 49 name uh, number rather. And uh, Troy put me as driver record, and because he unfortunately couldn't make it out, so I'll be driver record on the 49 in the score series all year. And uh, and we went and, and uh, uh, Tim drove in the pro truck, did part of one lap, and won it out. And uh, that was his goal, anyways. He was only going to make it to the start finish line. I mean, to the to the hot pit area. Me get in, and then Gary uh, Williams Jr. was going to drive. Uh, who's been my navigator? Uh, was going to drive the 49 and do that the entire Saturday. And then on Sunday we were going to flop. He get in the 49 to get the points, and then Gary drove the, the 19 the rest of the rest of Sunday. And you know what? We went there. Tim had an idea for us to go get points, and we got we got as many points as we could. We came out of there tied tied for points with both 19 and the 49. For 11th, and uh, and we're in a great position heading to San Felipe. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be 11th in points and not have run the real race cars, you know, going into the second race of the year, you can't complain. You really can't. No, not at all. I mean, they're they're so focused on uh, also Parker, and uh, this is a big race for, for the boys. And, uh, and it's been since 2003 since I've raced here, so yeah. I've missed it. This is a race that I love. I love coming down here. I love this race course, and it's just been a shame that I haven't been able to race since. In 2003. That's cool to hear from somebody like you. As much as you travel and get around and get to race a bunch of stuff, but it seems to be a, a, a recurring theme with with racers that you know travel here or Europe, the car or whatever. Uh, Parker is still one of the uh, you know top three on their list of favorite races to come out and play. It absolutely is. It just it has everything for you know for a driver. It, you know you, you have your you have your greasy WRC type roads. You know you have your rough. You have you know you have the dust to deal with. You have the real fast stuff. And uh, so I think it really this course really brings the driver back into the equation. Uh, unlike some like going to Prim or some of the really rough races where you know if if, if you got the you know the huevos to, to stand on the gas and just point it straight, then great. But you know the driver really comes back into the equation for this course to be able to really throw that truck around and get that thing to the finish line and, and get there first. Well, it's like you said, you know, it's, there's there's courses that are rougher than Parker. But I always laugh when Jimmy and I were talking earlier about people that uh, you know kind of hit the snooze button when they come to Parker because oh, it's not that rough. It's it's bladed, it's graded roads, whatever. But uh, you know, it'll it'll bite you just as quick if it catches you snoozing. So oh, you're you're not you're not kidding. I mean, you have to stay on your toes, especially especially as you get around lap two because now you're in some wicked dust. I mean, Jimmy, you know, yeah. I mean, it just, it just gets nasty out there, especially at the start as well. I mean, you got the sun in your eyes. Yeah, the the blinding sun. I mean, it's just that you when you take off, you're just right in it. It's, 
and it's never changed since year one that uh, that we've raced here. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it actually it was better in the beginning because they used to start in the California side in the morning and they come to the Arizona side in the afternoon, so it was a little bit better then. Yeah. So I actually miss those days as well. Yeah, it would be nice. I've actually been out on the California side playing around, and, and the old course is still there, and it's still as rough as ever. You know, I. I you know, I, I think with some of the BLM and environmental issues, it'll never happen. I mean, the trails are still open out there for people to go and play on, you know. It is. But uh, as far as the race, I don't think it would happen as much as everybody would love to see it. Oh, I think that would be so awesome to be able to do that split like we did, like we did through fast. Yeah. yeah. I think they give you 30 minutes downtime in between to, to re-prep your cars and, you know, just put them on the trailer, get, get, them, get them over to the Arizona side. I, I've I've heard stories of people with enclosed box trailers and, you know, and pulling their vehicle in the enclosed box trailer and the entire crew being inside the trailer. So as they're going down the highway, there's people wrenching on it and everything else, you know, and it's... Hey, anything to get into the Yeah, exactly, you, you know. Here, you got to go win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it's just, it's just so nice. It's always nice to come back to Parker. I've come back a couple a couple of uh, the last two or three years to, to support Gary Williams sitting to my left, and uh, he was racing in, in, uh, in 12 with, with Danny. And, uh, and you know, for a race car driver, too, you, you hate watching. Yeah. It's the most frustrating thing you can ever do in your life is to watch, is to watch people race. And, uh, and so that's why I'm so glad to be able to compete in this year. Well, uh, I mean, what are the plans? I know you and Mark are still good friends. Uh, yeah, is Miller R. Sierra Racing still in effect? I mean, if the right program comes along? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the uh, R. Sierra Miller Racing is still in effect. Uh, uh, Mark has kind of kind of taken a... a, a you know, kind of a retirement role, so to speak, and uh, and I kind of took charge and, and, and took control of our similar racing. We're still doing some stuff with Volkswagen, uh, not on the racing side right now, but uh, but just to keep our our, our toes in the sand with those guys. And uh, you know, I, we still have the tour. It's still sitting at my shop. It's frustrating. I see it every single day. I open that door to the shop to come into my office. I walk right up into it, and it's the most frustrating thing ever because it's such a beautiful piece of equipment, and, and, and it, it never got a chance to, to be able to showcase what it's capable of doing. Um, and we're, we're doing some. I'm doing a, a, a driving school as well uh, with our Motor Racing. Actually, uh, Jim Riley and uh, Rick Johnson have both done it. It's in New Jersey, and we're utilizing the, the Volkswagen uh, Jetta TDI Cup cars that we ran the series for. Uh, for Volkswagen uh, in 2009, 10, uh, 2008, 9, and 10. And um, it's a phenomenal endeavor, and, and uh, I'm just happy to be a part of it. And, and I think Jim and Rick had a blast when they went out to New Jersey uh, this last year. And we're going to look like we're going to expand into Palm Beach, into Florida. I want to bring it out to the West Coast, too. I just have to find the right opportunity with uh, with the right racetrack to be able to do it. So but, uh, but so that's, the, that's the pavement side of things. But um, and on the dirt, I'd love, you know, obviously – Everyone would love to have their own program, you know, to be able to have control and do what you want to do, build a car and, and race the car the way you want to do it. But the biggest thing we all we all fight with it is is money, you know, sponsor money. Everyone has the problem, you know. Even, even the even the rich guys, the pocket book eventually is going to start running dry. So it's, it's it's finding the right sponsor to come aboard to be able to put the right program together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're in, we're talking with Mikey Childress. He was on here before you, and uh, you know. It, you know, as far as off-road goes, I mean, you know, you've got short course and desert racing, and everybody's fighting over the same dollars from the same companies, and there's, you know, we're talking about it, it'd be awesome for some guy to be able to have a desert program and a short course, but it's just not going to happen unless you, you know, it's just, it's it's tough. Jimmy, you're absolutely right, and something we're going to switch gears to try to do is I really, truly, truly want to be in short course racing, and I want to put together a pro-2 program. I think if I can 
find the sponsorship money, this, this is my thought, uh, if I could find the sponsorship money to, to leverage getting into the circular stuff, once we get things going, I can help leverage that into a desert program. Um, obviously, uh, marketing-wise, it makes more sense to be in the short course just because of just the pure exposures they're getting. Um, and, and, uh, and to be able to leverage, it, leverage that into the desert program becomes that much easier as opposed to going the other way around. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, so it's unfortunate which, because I would love to see more sponsors out in ex-inventories. And what we need is we need more non-endemics. We need more people not in the automotive industry. You know, like like the Pepsi's or the Gatorades or the you know the uh, the people like Target. You know, the people aren't that aren't saturated in in, um, in car in, in, in the car industry and get because it'll bring a whole new fan base to our sport. That's what we need. We need new fans, new eyes on what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So any chance? Uh, I know you ran the car uh, once. It was it twice. Barcelona, I went through Africa, and I desperately want to do it again, but I'm that much smarter for doing it the first time I finished, which I was ecstatic to finish. Uh, but uh, you're just that much sm more smarter on what you do and how you go about doing things uh, the second time around. If I go back again, I want to go back with a team that's capable of going there to win. Uh, that's all that would be important to me anymore. Is I've been there, finished it, now it's time to go win it. Well, and I think from what I understand, too, you know, never having done anything like that, I mean, I've raced the Baja races, but it's not even comparable. You know, it seems like you need to go one year, and, and like Mark McMillan was talking about this year, you need to go and experience and see what you're getting into, you know, and see how it works because it is a different type of racing. You know, and, and then you come back the second year and you're able to compete. That, that's the way I approach it, Jim. You, you couldn't be more right. Uh, you know, you got to remember, we're as much as we know about desert racing, as much as we love what we do and, and, and we are good at what we do over here, we're playing in their sandbox and we're playing in their game, the European game. And uh, so we have to be smart on, on how we how we approach and how we attack them. And uh, and going over there for the first time just to see that's right. I did it in pretty much a stock Toyota Land Cruiser, kind of similar to how Mark did it this year. And um, and uh, going there, seeing how you go through the scrutinary process, seeing how, how how you start a stage, seeing how how the bivouac works, seeing how you read a roadblock, you know, how you navigate through the through the, through the courses of the day, um, being able to last for 15, 16, 17 days. And uh, I tell you what, someone asked me, well, what's tougher, the Baja 1000 or or Dakar? Uh, they're two different animals. Um, the Baja 1000 for one day is a tough, one of the toughest things to do. That car for 15 days is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. And uh, you really start questioning, especially when you start having problems, why you're there. What, what, what am I doing out here? Why am I doing this? I'm so ready to go home. So I separate the myth from the voice. Well, it's, it's, like you said, the car is kind of like an onion. There's so many layers that you got to peel back. And then, you know, Robbie spent several years down there running. And, uh, and shown he's, he's got a program and a team that can be, you know, competitive. But it, it always seems like there's one, one new layer every year that seems to just, you know, cause problems. And, and you're just waiting for that, that sweet spot, I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, like you said, Robbie's a prime example, like you're saying, is, is uh, how long has he been trying to do it now? You know, and and, uh, and every he's had his challenges every single year. Obviously, he had his, he had the best chance to do it was this year, and he showed that he can he can do it. But you're right, he's missing a couple of those layers now, and I guarantee he'll find them. Yeah, oh, yeah. you know, he always does. So he'll figure it out. So and I say, what when he figures it out, you bet they better watch out. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's uh, just amazing what he's been able to do. So. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit about road racing because I know in the past, you've, you, I mean, your family is known for Indy cars and stuff like that. I know in the past you've uh, driven some Toyota Atlantics and stuff like that. Um, I mean, you know, what, what took you to off-road rather than going the road racing route? That's a good question. Is, uh, 
My first endeavors in racing came in off-road. My family was involved in IndyCar. My grandpa was one of the founding fathers of CART at the time, which evolved into Champ Car, and obviously now has gone away to IRL. Um, and uh, so I was, I was growing up going to the desert races, going to IndyCar races. But being West Coast and being from California, uh, it was easier for me to go to the desert races because uh, my dad didn't have to take me out of school for very much. Um, and uh, if anything, he would me on a Friday. The IndyCar races were very hard. I could only go to the ones like Long Beach or when they were when I raced in Ontario uh, or up in up in Laguna Seca. And uh, so I started getting, getting getting my feet wet in desert racing, and I loved it. Just loved everything about it. And I got a, po- a point in my early career. I'm like, you know what? I want to try road racing. Um, I'm still going to do the off-road stuff, and I want to try the road racing stuff. So I started going through getting my getting my credentials, going through Russell, the Russell Racing School. Uh, I started competing in open wheel racing and started having a tremendous amount of luck. And uh, and and everything I got in, I was winning. I'm like, this is great. You know, I want to continue to do it. But the wall kept on hitting was the sponsorship of Moneywall. So no matter what I could do, and I had to find, you know, five times as much money to go road racing than I could do, than I could desert racing. And uh, so I just kept on running into that Moneywall. Didn't know what to do. I, I couldn't figure out how to find the funding to do it. And for some reason, opportunities always would pop up for me in the off-road side of things. So I kept on calling me back. And uh, in 1999, I was lucky enough to sign on with General Motors and, uh, and race, race with the Vortex program with Mark Miller, Larry Ragan, and Brian Stewart, and Mickey Johnson. And uh, that was a phenomenal, that was a, one of the highlights of my career other than, you know, winning my first file 1000. And, uh, and then I went back to do it, and I started doing NASCAR stuff, and I started doing the Oval stuff. Having a tremendous amount of success, but just could never get to the next level that didn't have the funding to do it. And unfortunately, with this sport, this crazy sport we have, whether it be off-road or, or road racing, it's, it's, it's more about money than it is about talent. That's an absolute shame, because there's just so many drivers that get overlooked, uh, in my eyes, because of the fact that these don't have the dollars and cents. It's not like baseball, football, basketball, any of the stick-and-ball sports where talent, pure talent can get you to the, to the, to the major leagues to, or to the top. And in and, uh, racing, it's not always the case, and it's a shame that it has to be that way. So, but like I said, for some reason, uh, the, the off-road stuff kept calling me, the Volkswagen program, stuff for Toyota. Opportunities kept on rising, so I, I went right back to where the opportunity was, and I guess maybe it's meant to be that I stay in, I stay in off-road racing. Well, you, you've accomplished a lot in off-road. I mean, the door kept opening that way, and you've you know, you got to walk through it if it's open. So. And I'm, I, and not, you know, I don't want to get close to I'm, I'm so fortunate, very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. I, I, you know, how many people can actually say that they're living their dream, and uh, and I'm, I'm one of them. You know, it, it didn't come with it didn't come without a price, of course. But uh, but I, think I I love what I do. So and I, you know, last weekend I got a chance. I was in Daytona last weekend, so I got a, got a chance to get back and, and do a little bit of road racing. Uh, I didn't race in Daytona, but we brought back my grandfather's uh, his uh, Lotus 19 that Dan Gurney drove for him. And, uh, yeah, I saw the pictures. It was amazing. It was. So awesome. It was one of the highlights of my career to be able to go there and run that car. That won the very first 24 hours Daytona. Actually, it was called the Daytona Continental at the time. And uh, and so that car is is, uh, is held very high, at high standards uh, at that racetrack uh, for that race. So it was really cool to be, go, be able to go there and drive that thing on the racetrack. Awesome. Yeah, you've had, you've had uh, a lot of neat opportunities. And uh, uh, I want to ask you about the, uh, the Nora this year. You plan on uh, running it again? And uh, what's, what's your plans are for that? You know, it's... Uh, Bob and I were talking, Gordon and I were talking uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, actually, actually, I'm sorry, last week. And uh, so I asked Bob the question, I, knowing in my mind that, of course, I'm going to do it. You know, we, I, we got it. We won it the first two. We, we got to go. We got to go try to win it again. And uh, I asked Bob, and, and uh, my Bob, what do you think? He's, 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 what do you think about running the Nora race? And he's, 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 he's kind of pausing for a second. And he's like, Well, yeah, we, I guess we have to, right? <laughs> and I'm like, Well, 
great answer. <laughs> of course we do. So we, we have the car. It's at my shop right now. We just brought it there a couple of days ago. Uh, so I'm hoping the guys at YT um, are, are at my shop working on it. And uh, I, we're going to get it ready, and we're going to go compete again at, uh, at the, at the NOAA race this year and see if we can't go for a three-peat. That's, that's cool. Still, hands down, one of my favorite chassis of all time. Oh, I, just, I mean, that car is just... It's cool looking, you know? Do. And don't, don't say it too loud, but it's a beam car. It's a beam car. <laughs> it's a beam car. And we were able to win last year's race. Ultimately, Bob just did a leak down test on the engine, we were, and we thought we were, it's a six-cylinder Toyota Camry, and we thought we were only running on three cylinders. Uh, really, we were only running on two after he leaked it down, and, uh, and that's pretty much how we did the whole race. So we're excited to get the engine rebuilt, and actually run on six. And, uh, you know, got, a bunch of guys are calling Bob and calling myself, and we're going back and forth, and, and they're, they're gunning to come beat us. Uh, and this fun race that uh, that had no pressure, no stress, has now become a race. <laughs>
how's everything been going? Uh, everything going smooth so far? I know tomorrow things are going to hit the fan. Yeah, you know, we've, uh, uh, we've had a good week here in Parker. Uh, it's nice to be in Parker. I, I would say Parker, Arizona is the off-road race headquarters in the United States as far as I'm concerned. So at this point, everything is going very smooth. Yep. So, um, so big announcement Besson Desert had. You guys picked up the Mint 400 this year and uh, expanded to a six-race series. I mean, how did uh, how did that come about? And, uh, I mean, it really kind of shoots uh, Besson Desert into the stratosphere this year, really. Yeah, it was, uh, I would say it was actually a while in the making, but it all came together relatively fast. So putting it all together with the, with the Bureau of Land Management, I figured that's why I was going to run into the problems, but it all went smooth. We've actually got the permit for the race already. The biological opinion is done. And then I just got some great news today, some wonderful news, that Red Bull has joined us for the major sponsor today. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, exciting. Exciting. yeah that is exciting. Uh, so is the Mint 400, I, I mean, looking to be a permanent fixture on the schedule for the next couple of years, or, you know, is it a multi-year deal, or gonna, is it a year-by-year thing? No, I signed a three-year contract with Mad Media. Mad Media actually bought the name Mint 400 and bought the event from Snore. Uh-huh. And then they signed a three-year agreement with Best in the Desert to promote the event and put the event on. So it's kind of a joint venture with, with Mad Media doing all the promotion and Best in the Desert doing all the logistics and running of the race itself. That should be should be a great, a great pairing. I mean, you guys have done such a great job putting on races in the States and being able to keep races going that uh, other other uh, other otherwise would uh, not be, you know, continuing. Um, Parker being a great example that's, you know, had a huge revival from its, its historic past and, and the numbers keep growing. And then, you know, you throw in the Mint Media or Mad Media and the, and the Mint 400, the television exposure. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be really big things for the sport. And, uh, you know, I just think it's the pairing is just uh, uh, amazing. And congratulations. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And there's no question about it. Mad Media is a driving force. We are planning, you know, like I told them, well, we, we, they want to grow it slow. And I said, no, we're going to hit it hard and run it full blast. We've taken the myth, we need to take it to another level, and I said we'll take it to another level, and by doing that, you, you've got to spend some money, you've got to do some awesome things. So we are, we are putting all the downtown experience uh, functions together. As, as we speak here, we were having meetings. I wasn't there, but they were having meetings in Las Vegas. And then we're working on a, something that nobody's ever done, and that's to take all the trick trucks in there and have a police escort right down the Las Vegas Strip all the way to the Fremont Street Experience and then have an autograph signing session there underneath the canopy. So hopefully that will come together, and I think Red Bull joining us will make a difference and uh, bring the, bring more to the plate so we can afford to do that. Well, with uh, Red Bull's horsepower, I mean, just, you know, in all sports in general, I mean, they can help make a lot of things happen. You know, it's great to have them on board. It is. It's funny. It's, it's like anything. It's, it takes money, takes money to do things. And if you've got all the ideas and then you got somebody with some money to help you with it, you can make a lot of things happen. So we're excited. I think it's going to be a great event. We did a letter of intent, and we're going to, by the way, it's going to be limited to 300 entries. As uh, When I left Las Vegas, we had about 125 intents already for it. So it's almost half full just for the intent of it. Well, I'm sure after this race, you know, it'll probably skyrocket in a hurry your, your, your entries. Well, we gave them a little extension. We decided to wait till after Parker to give everybody that opportunity to uh, get into the business. So it's going to be fun. It'll be, it'll be good. But you know what? Parker's wonderful. Look at the Colorado River. We're sitting on the mighty Colorado. What a backdrop. 
for a 425-mile race, this is, this is it. You can't get any better than me. Well, and we've got to commend you. I mean, the things you've done with Parker since you've taken it over, it, it just, uh, I mean, blown this race up uh, huge. I mean, it, it's it's on another level that it never was before. And, uh, you know, like you said, when, when Best in the Desert takes something on, Best in the Desert, you know, goes 100%. There's no, you know, 70, 80, 90%. I mean, you're all in when you do something. And I think it shows for what uh, – for what this race turned into, I mean, in, in just, you know, just a short amount of time, it's, you know, become probably one of the biggest races in, you know, in off-road. Well, you know what? Uh, probably like you, Jim, I talked to a lot of people. What's your favorite race? What's your favorite race? Everybody says parking. Everybody says parking. I mean, tomorrow, let's say Friday, take a look at that pit area. That's all together. That's almost six miles of pits, motorhomes, campers. Trailers, it's, it's beyond belief when you look at it and the, and the dollars that are sitting out there. You go, my God, there's a lot of enthusiasm here. I, I just had a guy stop me today. I was put together the, the Parker Downtown Experience. A guy pulled up with a Jeep and said, hey, I just want to tell you thanks. I come all the way from Colorado for this one race a year. He said, this is it, man. This is the greatest thing. Ever. So that, was, that was nice. And it's, there's a lot of people here from all over the United States. There's, there's so much buy-in. Like you said, it's, it's uh, I don't know of any other community for six-wise that has as many people involved or excited that, uh, that it's here. Uh, but then, yeah, even racers. You know, how many racers have, have decided to make second homes here? And, and uh, obviously, Parker's got a special draw, um, not just with the location, but, but especially the race. It's, it seems like even the guys that may race, you know, pick and choose this or that, uh, Parker's always one of the top ones that they pick to come out and say, oh, that's what I'm not going to miss. And, uh, it's a fun kickoff to the year, especially. Oh, you're, I mean, look at the weather we have here, the backdrop, the beautiful Blue Water Resort, casino sitting here, the town of Parker with the Parker Motors. You know, they open up their doors to everybody for coming in here, bringing their stuff in here to have it worked on. It's just it's a wonderful atmosphere. I wish I had this kind of support on every event that I did. This is a fantastic town and fantastic support. And I tell you, it is the heartbeat of off-road racing in Parker, Arizona. Well, and uh, I know as a community we've worked hard, and it's almost become like a, a week-long event. I mean, you know, racers start getting here on Wednesdays, and, you know, and casinos got this party going tonight, and then tomorrow, you know, we've got time trials, and then another party in the dig, and then contingency and tech inspections, and, I mean, it's just a week-long, you know, it's almost turned into a week-long event, you know, and it's been great for the city of Parker and, you know, town of Parker and the tribes and uh, the casino and all the businesses. No, that's, I agree with you. And then we got the, you know, the downtown Parker experience to it, which is another event. We bring all those beautiful vehicles to right downtown. It's funny your dad's dealership down there. And uh, it's, it, we're very welcome here, I think, from everybody that I've ever talked to. You know, I, I had a nice meeting today with the Blue Water Resort and Casino Management. They're just ecstatic over everything we're doing here with it, bringing the, the people to the facility. So it's, it's great. We're happy to be here. Well, and uh, what you've done with downtown Parker, I was actually talking with some racers, and, you know, first thing they said, oh, I can't believe it's mandatory to get down there. And then after the first year they went down there, they went, wow, this is actually great for sponsor exposure. And so I know a lot of the bigger teams are actually taking their sponsors down there with them to show the exposure, you know, that the, the, the amount of fans and, and people that can actually get their hands on, on vehicles. And it's actually – the racers now, it seems like, are getting excited about it only because they have that opportunity to, you know what I mean, get up close and personal with the uh, fans, and the sponsors are loving it. And I think it's been a great, great program, and I commend you for uh, for helping us put that together. 
got an azuni in my hand, I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> life can't get much better. That's right. Especially knowing you're going racing this weekend. Uh, you know what? I keep watching that video that Mad Media did of the R8, the Triple Eight R8. I just, you know, I get excited and I'm like, oh, the race is coming up, man! I can't wait. Well, and, uh, they just announced with the, the R8 available to the public now, so maybe you'll get some uh, some guys start ordering those. And uh, yeah, should... we have Rick Johnson just took the helm over at Trophy Light yeah. uh, last week, working the strong, and uh, he's got some amazing resources. So the Trophy Light. R8 is going to be available for production. I think we've worked on all the teams. Let's see what happens this weekend. Uh, car's got amazing power. Uh, it's going to be a great spec class for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be a nice step up from the people, you know, migrating from the regular trophy lights up to the, you know, the R8. It's going to have a little more horsepower, a little more wheel travel. It should be a good program. Yeah, and, and that's the point of the R8 program is that you can learn in a, in a trophy light R4, have to get some experience out there figure out what it's all about, and then step up to the R8 and not have to be in a trophy truck, you know, yeah. and all that money. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, well, and the nice thing is, is parts are off the shelf. Everything's off the shelf. You need something, you order it. It's not like you've got a custom Babbitt, and, you know, I, I've gone through that, and <laughs> I know how it is. It's, uh, you know, it's a, quite a turnaround when you're waiting on parts. So. Yeah, I've seen the, the trophy lights in both full build and, and, you know, in the middle of build and in the middle of preps and, and, and the craftsmanship and, and the technology and the design that went into it. Um, you know, it's not really a junior trophy truck. I mean, the stuff on there is top-notch, and I think it's going to grow into a really cool class. And everything I've heard about people that have ridden in it and driven it, uh, just can't talk how much, uh, how well it works. You know, when you compare it to the trophy truck, really the difference that we're talking about is, is motor package as well as transmission. Beyond that, you're looking at a great suspension package, uh, you know, everything else is very, very similar. We're talking about inches and difference in terms of dimensions and suspension and things like that. So it really is a great package, you know, for a guy that wants to go fast but not spend a half million dollars on a trophy truck. And, yeah, and a half million is just in the trophy truck. You know, not even count the other, you know, million or whatever it takes to, you know, get the hauler and, and go, you know, fill, 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 fill boogie on it. That's right. It's a lot of, a lot of tequilas later, right? <laughs> a lot of bottles. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, what are, what are your plans for this year? Mostly uh, run the Trophy Light uh, Series. Are you going to run any score at all, you think? And Well, you know, with the horsepower that we have in that R8 and, and definitely the package, we're going to run all best of desert. Casey, folks, has been unbelievable in terms of partnership. We actually sponsored the series um, as a brand. Um, so we are excited to run this program, especially with the Mint 400, with Mad Media taking over. I know you guys talked about that already, but I'm so excited to go out to the Mint 400 this year. Um, but on top of that, um, we've been encouraged again to go run the Nora race. We're going to run the Vintage. Oh, awesome. um, I've got it titled up holding that 1971 Nova. We won the Vintage class last year, so uh, we're, we're looking forward to that. We've got um, actually my buddy Rico here from NOHO who came out. He's going to be running with me down there. Um, at the Nora race, so, uh, you know, we're just trying to have a good time. Yeah, you know what's funny about the, the Nova is, is uh, actually one of the guys that uh, we had interviewed on the show, Larry, his uh, his dad actually drove the Nova. He, used to, yeah, he teamed up with uh, Mick Newton, the original owner, and they they used to split driving 50-50 on it. It's just kind of funny. It goes full circle. But uh, I think every Little League t-shirt we wore in Parker was probably printed by the Snorton North uh, t-shirt company, you know, it's just... Yeah, when I saw that car come back, it was brought back a lot of good memories. It's a cool car to take down there and You know, it's an exciting car, not only from, you know, it's loud, it's exciting to look at, the yellow and the blue and the smart and all the history there, and then to get in the driver's seat. I mean, I'm very fortunate. Uh, Rick Johnson 
popular for sipping or shooting. Uh, we have a reposado, which is aged straight mushroom Jack Daniel Barrel. And then we have a gale that's aged racing mushroom Jack Daniel Barrel. So, uh, and then we've got some specialty things, too. Uh, uh, we did a, a reposado for a desert last year for Vegas Arena Ray. Uh, we've got something special. We're trying to get off the ground Well, I've got a bottle that, uh, one of the promotional ones you did for the Ball 1000, and uh, it, it's really amazing, the packaging and everything that went into it, so. Yeah, hang on to that. I don't know what year you have, but this year we made 692. The year before, we only made 1,061, and it signifies each mile of the race. So that's it, limited production. If you got a bottle, hang on to it. Yeah. My bottle's getting delivered this weekend, courtesy of Rick Johnson, so I'm pretty excited. I'll put it, put it up and away where I can't get to it, you know. <laughs>